Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Thank you very much. I went to your new building today, and uh, I understand you're going to have a larger platform there, and I can hardly wait to run back and forth while I'm preaching. Amen. I did look at the building. I feel the Holy Ghost on this move. Buildings don't bring revival, but they facilitate opportunity for God to move in a powerful way. They really do. And so uh, I can give you that word of encouragement. When we moved into the building that we have now uh, in December of 2004, God worked an incredible miracle, got us into a building that was appraised at 2.8 million. We got the building for 1.2 a uh, million dollars. We were able to raise all the money to do all the remodeling. And uh, in the 15 years we've been there, we've seen God do amazing things. We started Bible conferences. We planted uh, numerous churches all over the world. Our congregation has grown and uh, we're continuing to see God move powerfully. So we're going to be all praying for you here uh, in El Paso. Meanwhile, it's kind of cozy in here. But in a few months, this will get pretty old, and you're going to want your new dig. So we're praying for God's grace. Turn in your Bibles to Psalms 55. Tomorrow night, I'm going to preach a sermon called The Saving Power of Forgiveness. And I just wrote this sermon. It's brand new. I just preached it in my church Sunday morning, and I kind of felt like I might preach it here. And uh, I really felt the Spirit of the Lord speaking to me about Uh, ministering that sermon, The Saving Power of Forgiveness. And I I chose that title very carefully because uh, of the dynamics that are involved in being forgiven and forgiving. So you don't want to miss that. Uh, And I believe God's going to speak to our hearts and save us. Amen. Tomorrow night. Psalms 55 is where I want to minister from tonight. In uh, his film, I don't know how old the movie is, it's called Exit, The Appeal of Suicide. It's one of the movies that Ray Comfort uh, put together. And if you've seen any of his movies or his documentaries, uh, he goes to different places and simply interviews people off the street and asks questions. In this particular film, he did most of his filming, if not all of it, on college and university campuses. And you look at a college and university campus, people are there generally because they have purpose, they have ambition, they have vision, they're going somewhere in life, they're trying to get a degree, they have something to live for. But he went around and began to ask people about the subjects of depression and the subjects of suicide, and he picks people out at random, and it's a stunning a testimony of where young people are at today. It has become the norm to confess severe bouts of depression. One girl answered the question and she said, depressed? Of course I get depressed. Have you ever considered suicide? Six times. This is a lovely young girl on a college campus, could be on a scholarship, has everything to live for, and yet we're living in an era where this has become actually an epidemic. You know, a lot of people wear masks. The person next to you, you don't know where they're at, in their heart and in their mind. You never know. In a crowd this size, in a church like mine, all sorts of things are going on in people's hearts and minds uh, out there, and when we come to church or when we function on our job, in our ministry, uh, 
when we go to school, when we interact with other people, uh, most of us put on masks. We want to conceal and cover uh, at least some of what is going on inside of our hearts. Very few people uh, in life are 100% transparent uh, about everything, even in marriages. Uh, Couples, uh, husbands and wives aren't transparent uh, about how they really feel and what they're really going through in their life. We wear masks to conceal what we're going through. These two tragic expressions of behavior that I want to talk to you about tonight, depression and suicide, are inexorably linked together. Depression and suicide. Now, not everyone who is depressed commits suicide, certainly. But everyone who commits suicide, the taking of one's own life, suffers from depression or some form of desperation where you don't see a way out of your problems, your pressures. It could be debt. It could be relational circumstances. Uh, It could be the emptiness that sin produces in a person's life. That can produce uh, severe torment uh, and mental distress. Uh, And what makes this a worthy subject for a sermon is twofold. Number one, the distinct spike and the increase uh, culturally and generationally in both depression and suicide, especially among young people, to the point where uh, suicide is now, and this astonished me when I, when I read it in my research for this sermon, suicide is the second leading cause of death among youth between the ages of five, yes, I said five, and 25 years old, according to the American Academy of Child Adolescent Psychiatry. Secondly, this is a worthy subject because of what the Bible says. The Bible addresses Depression and issues pertaining mental health. How many know God wants you to be mentally healthy and vibrant and an optimist and able to express faith and confidence in your life? He wants you to have mental health. And it's quite astonishing when you take this single subject of mental health, how much the Bible talks about having a sound mind, having the peace of God, guarding your heart. Remember many of the people that Jesus ministered to that came to him for healing, many of them had what the Bible refers to as a tormented mind. And maybe most importantly, this is a worthy subject because believers are not immune. We're going to read about a king who was seriously depressed. We can read about great men of God who had bouts and moments of demoralization where they even wished that they were never born. And I will lead you into some of those verses this evening. And while the world, certainly the world, has no answers for this, they medicate, they, they uh, converse with you perhaps in a psychiatrist's office, the world and the medical field, whether the psychological Uh, medical field or the uh, clinical medical field uh, have no answers for this. Uh, We know that God's word does. And we know that the answers uh, are as close uh, as this altar is to you right now tonight. You can experience uh, a wonderful, powerful deliverance uh, and you can feel a dimension of God's grace perhaps even tonight as a Christian that you've never known. So we're going to go to Psalms 55. This is an incredible verse. The way that it's written, the way that it's constructed, the flurry of inspiration. David, of course, was a very gifted poet and was just able to take thoughts and communicate them very concisely and very briefly. And this is this text I would call an absolute masterpiece of inspiration. And I think it speaks to many of us that are here tonight. And I want to minister a sermon I've simply entitled Deliverance from the Spirit of depression and suicide. Psalms 55, 1. This is King David. Give ear to my prayer, O God. Do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me. Hear me. 
I am restless in my complaint, and I moan noisily because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart, listen to these words, my heart is severely pained within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I mean, what a, what a cluster of words that he uses. He's trying to find a way to communicate what's going on in his heart. He's trying to take the mask off uh, so that we can observe what's going on. And then he says, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Let's bow our heads. I want prayer uh, tonight. Father, we thank you so much for this sovereign occasion where we are gathered together now in your presence uh, to hear your word, to hear revelation, uh, to have the Holy Spirit deal with our hearts uh, and to come to a place of genuine, real deliverance in our lives uh, that will make a difference from this day forward. Uh, we can become even more of the new creation that you desire us to be. And we thank you for that opportunity tonight in Jesus' name. So let's look at the problem for a few moments tonight. The issues of depression and suicide are no longer marginalized on the sidelines. They are now front and center because of how prolific they have become. And again, as I said in my introduction, perhaps the most shocking development in the mental health field is the level of depression among young people and even children. We are now reading in our newspapers and we can find statistical evidence of numerous cases of children suffering from clinical and chronic depression and even committing suicide as young as 12 and 13. 13 and 14 years old. A number of years ago, a few short years ago, we had a 16-year-old boy in our church. His parents were in the church, in the congregation, hung himself from a bedpost on a bunk bed on a Sunday morning. I had to leave the service, not the service, but the Sunday school somebody else was teaching, rush over to the house, try to ascertain what was going on, pray for a few moments for the family, and uh, this happened, uh, and this was a 16-year-old young boy. We uh, have in our church uh, uh, a police dispatcher. This is the guy uh, who gets calls from 911. When you call 911, you get an operator, you describe what's going on. She calls the dispatcher, and the dispatcher uh, communicates with the police and tells them what's going on and sends them uh, uh, to the particular location. And uh, when I preached this sermon in my church a few months ago, this uh, young man came to me and said, Pastor, I just got a call uh, of an eight-year-old boy who had taken his life and the police officers that had gone there uh, uh, needed serious counseling and help as they were trying to deal with the situation of the parents and the child. Uh, we had a couple that backslid many years ago. Uh, they had a child, uh, 12 years old. Uh, we heard this just a few years ago. She took uh, her own life. There are numerous causes of this among young people from bullying at school to cyberbullying, Probably the greatest uh, 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 contributing factor is broken families uh, and the rejection and betrayal that is the consequence of that. Uh, sexual abuse and violation uh, and neglect can trigger depression uh, and if it's not addressed it can lead to serious tragedy. Depression has led in our generation uh, to an epidemic uh, of suicide. Highlighted by the recent celebrity suicides uh, in August of 2015, Robin Williams. Uh, earlier last year, uh, uh, the suicide of Kate Spade, the uh, designer. Uh, and then uh, a little while after that, Anthony, Anthony Bourdain, the celebrity chef who had a television program. All of these individuals hung themselves. And statistically, uh, whenever a well-known person uh, or a celebrity commits suicide, uh, it causes a spike 
in the suicide rates around the world. 500,000 people are taken to the hospital every single year in America because of failed suicide attempts. In 2013, there was a milestone, a tragic milestone that was reached where for the first time in our history in America, the suicide rate hit 40,000 suicides in a year. Last year's uh, was 42,000 plus, uh, and the suicide rate has increased uh, 27% since the year 2000. Uh, something is terribly wrong in our culture. Can you say amen? This is not the norm. Something is happening. The devil has gained opportunity. A number of factors are at work. John chapter 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. So somehow, some way, he's gained access into people's minds at a level never before seen. 350 million people worldwide are said to suffer. And I believe the numbers are even actually higher. They can't chronicle. Uh, everything that's going on. They say, though, that 350 million people worldwide suffer from clinical, chronic, and acute depression. Three million people, they claim, have made a plan to take their own lives, and there are 1.4 million failed suicide attempts every year, and they say that 18%, and again, I think the number is much higher, but 18% of teenagers consider suicide. Now, what is interesting and what was fascinating to me was I began to walk through the Bible in the context of this subject, and we see an expression of this in the Word of God. Part of the narrative of the Bible, and we should appreciate the narrative of the Bible, it doesn't give a rosy picture of life and of everyone who served God, everyone who was a prophet, everyone who uh, is mentioned in the Word of God, but we have a very transparent uh, uh, view of people in the Bible. God takes the masks off uh, and let us, lets us see what these individuals were actually like and what they went through. Uh, we get an honest picture of people, uh, their struggles, their problems, uh, and sometimes their tragic end. Uh, Abimelech, in Judge chapter 9, had his armor bearer kill him. Remember, he got in a situation, it wasn't a case of chronic depression, but he got in a circumstance that was intolerable to him, and he saw no way out, and he had his armor bearer kill him and strike him dead. Even Samson, who is listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as one of the heroes of faith, said, let me die with the Philistines. Saul and his sons, Saul Saul, rather, and his armor bearer fell on their own swords in a battle, seeing no way out of the situation that they were in. Ahithophel, his plans are rejected by Absalom, and because of that, he couldn't handle the rejection. He took his own life, and the Bible says, now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he put his household in order, and he hanged himself and he died. He didn't get the outcome that he wanted. The disappointment was too great. Zimri, another king, his city was taken by an enemy. He set his house on fire and perished within. And then, of course, there's Judas, who the Bible says went out and hung himself. We read about the characters in the Bible, ones that we admire, ones that, as I said, are listed in the narrative of the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, people like Moses and Hannah, people like Solomon and Elijah and Nehemiah, Job and Jeremiah and John the Baptist. All of these individuals show at different points in their life or maybe at a particular point in their life, they show signs of, of a powerful dimension, not just a bad day or a bad afternoon or, you know, you got a speeding ticket and so it upsets you. But we're talking about something that lingers day after day and drives people's behavior, certainly in a wrong direction and sometimes to tragedy. Look at our text for a moment. Parse this with me. Examine this. David is at a very low point in his life, perhaps the lowest. He's older now. David has made a lot of mistakes in his life at this point, and now it's all caving in on him. His son Absalom has betrayed him, declared himself king. 
He has a large following. David has to flee the city. His trusted friend and advisor, Ahithophel, has betrayed David and gone over and aligned himself with Absalom. That's why he writes a little bit later from where I stopped reading in uh, Psalms 55. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could take it or bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you. He's talking about Ahithophel, his former advisor. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. And so what does David do as a result of this? He says, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away, I would be at rest. His faculties are now hijacked. Again, this is not just a bad day or a bad afternoon. You know depression is bearing fruit when your decisions are now made as a consequence of the depressed state that you're in. You think of leaving your husband, blowing your family up, moving to another city, doing something extreme. And here's a king. He has a ministry. He has a calling. He has a God-ordained destiny for his life. And he wants to escape it all and get away. What's driving him now is not destiny. It's not the will of God. It's not his future in God. But it is this depressed state that has now hijacked his faculties and is producing this sort of rhetoric. Depression causes extreme impulses to be expressed. People will, as a consequence of depression, abuse drugs and alcohol. Sometimes they will physically try and run away from their problems as David uh, is expressing here. They'll move uh, or they'll quit uh, or they'll give up on a marriage or they'll run in this direction and run in that direction. Uh, and of course, the most extreme way of escape uh, is to take one's own life. Some people run and they keep running and they create more problems for themselves. Paul Tedesco, I read a little blog that he wrote. I stumbled on it one day. He's a pastor in Bacaville, California. And he said, I mentioned last night after the service that I had some data around suicide, specifically among teens that I wanted to share. It is referred to as a silent epidemic. In many instances, because of the many statistics around suicide, they're never publicly discussed or shared. And oftentimes we don't consider or imagine that someone is being tormented by thoughts of suicide who could be right around us. But it's very prevalent, he said, as a church kid who struggled with depression and suicide, my thoughts as a teenager were in that regard all the while I was sitting in church. I know too well, all too well, that it is uh, indeed a silent epidemic. But thank God he breaks uh, the silence. And he mentioned uh, and said that there's also a fairly new TV show called 13 Reasons Why that has been causing waves. And we see the effects among uh, people that we work with on a regular basis. 13 Reasons Why is a television show written off of a novel uh, about a young girl who commits suicide. She's in school, tormented, going through different problems at school and at home, and she takes her own life, and she writes uh, notes, 13 of them, uh, to different individuals explaining why that particular person uh, uh, is one of the reasons why she took her own life, 13 reasons why. This uh, television show uh, laid hold of the youth of our country, uh, and as a consequence, uh, now uh, uh, sociologists are saying that this television show uh, is responsible uh, for a spike uh, in suicide among young, young people today. And if it's not actual suicide, it is what we call having a death wish. It's another way that depression manifests itself. I want to die. I wish I was never born. Two of the most significant prophets of the Bible communicated this. Jeremiah and Elijah. Jeremiah said, let the man, who, let the man be cursed who brought news to my father saying, a male child has been born to you, making him very glad. And let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew. 
and did not relent. This guy's got issues, <laughs> Jeremiah. Let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noon because he did not kill me from the womb. That my mother might have been my grave and her womb always enlarged with me. Why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow that my days should be consumed with shame? This is not a man who's just having a bad day or a bad afternoon who got a speeding ticket on the way to prayer meeting. He sunk underneath an avalanche of these depressed thoughts and after some time these kinds of thoughts begin to emerge. Elijah Went a day's journey in 1 Kings 19.4. Went a day's journey into the wilderness. Came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. I alone am left, he said. Depression will skew your perspective. Remember, the angel of the Lord said, you're not the only one. I got 7,000 others just like you that are serving God. But depression skews your perception and darkens your world. Job in 7.16 said, I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone for my days are but a breath. And then Jonah said, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And again, these are all significant men of God that are experiencing this in their life. So let me look at some of the triggers with you. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Now it's helpful to define and put some clarity and context to what we're talking about because some people, a lot of people, maybe most, don't really understand what they're dealing with. A lot of depressed people think it's just normal. They'll tell me across my dad, it's the way I've always been, it's the way my mother was. It seems to be the pattern in our family. We're all demoralized and we're all depressed. And we can even think that it's normal and there's no other way. We can't see another way, joy, happiness. People talk about peace of mind and there are Christians who think that's just not their portion. Someone defined it this way, chronic, a chronic long-term disposition, long-term disposition, characterized by negative thinking. Negative thinking is lethal. Once you start down that road and you allow negative thinking to, uh, to uh, 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 become, uh, to multiply in your life, it becomes how you see the world, it will depress you. Characterized by negative thinking, always believing that the worst outcome will occur, along with a sense of hopelessness and despair. On the Mayo Clinic website, it defines depression this way. Depression is a mood disorder that causes a persistent feeling of sadness and loss of interest. Also called major depressive disorder or clinical depression, it affects how you feel, how you think, 
how you behave, and it can lead to a variety of emotional and physical problems. You may have trouble doing normal day-to-day -day activities, and sometimes you may feel as though life is not worth living. Now, let me be very clear, and I'm preaching this as a pastor and a Christian, as someone who suffered from this very thing in my own life. So let me be very clear, it is not that your problems are to such a degree you have no option but to be, of course I'm depressed. How would you be if you had to deal with what I, if you were married to him, how would you be? We think that depression is a natural result of our problems. That is not the issue. The issue is that you do not have the emotional and spiritual constitution to remain positive in the face of your problems. You've collapsed your emotions. It's a collapse. Your house that is your life has collapsed under the weight of your problems, which evidences that the structure of your life doesn't have the necessary strength and integrity to sustain you. I read the other day about a, I think it was a 10 or 15 story building somewhere in the third world that just collapsed under the weight of itself. It was built about 15 years ago, faulty concrete, cheap steel, and, and the weight was just too much. And eventually, I think it happened in the middle of the night so nobody was killed, but it just simply collapsed underneath the weight of itself. And this is what happens to people. Problems mount up, pressures mount up. You don't have the faculties, the constitution, the spiritual maturity, uh, and the emotional strength uh, to, to maintain your structure uh, under the weight and maintain victory under the weight. And so a collapse very likely can occur. Here's some symptoms of what we're talking about. Feelings of sadness, tearfulness, emptiness, and hopelessness. Angry outbursts. Irrational responses to small things that are happening in your life. Irritability, constant sense of frustration, a loss of interest in normal, necessary activities, sleep disturbances, including insomnia or sleeping too much, tiredness, lack of energy, reduced appetite and weight loss. That, that symptom isn't happening in my church. I don't know if it does yet. Anxiety, agitation, restlessness, slowed thinking, can't process normal problems, to, can't, can no longer think in a linear fashion, of A to B to C to D to conclusion. It's confusion. Everything is distorted. Frequent or reoccurring thoughts of death, suicidal thoughts, the death wish that I spoke about a few moments ago. Shannon Bream is one of the Fox News uh, uh, hosts. I think she has a nightly show. She also, and I read, I've read a few articles by her, and she recently wrote a book, but she is a born-again, a real, genuine, born-again Christian. And she wrote this in a recent uh, article. She said, I remember being back on the treadmill at the gym a couple weeks after my father died suddenly. It was all I could do to hold it together. And it made me look around and begin to think, who else here is in the kind of pain that I'm in? A lot of people are. I know a man who's waiting to find out if his third round of chemotherapy is going to work. I know a woman who had three siblings die in less than a year. I know a woman whose husband puts her down all the time. I know a man whose beloved son started hanging out with the wrong crowd is now a drug addict. These people just keep putting one foot in front of the other, doing the next thing, working, attending church, standing in line at the grocery store. They're not telling many people how they're feeling on the inside. It's too personal and too painful. They might start crying if they try to talk about it. We're all going to meet someone today who's being crushed by life. We won't know who it is, so we might as well be gentle with everyone we meet because you never know. There are triggers that I want to talk to you about for a moment that can set things in motion towards depression. I remember many years ago, Pastor Mitchell gave a definition that I'll get to in a moment. Before I get to that, these triggers, some of them play out quickly. 
We get in a bad situation, something crashes down upon us, a, a tragedy, a heartache, the unexpected, something we didn't write into the script. Uh, we woke up one way one morning, and by the time we go to bed that night, our whole world has changed. That can throw someone into depression, but sometimes it's a long, slow process. It can have to do with how you think, how you view the world, and so forth. When Pastor Warner got in his automobile accident, the assumption was that he was going to collapse into deep, dark depression. He was uh, 23 years old at the time. He's not going to have the use of his legs, and so the hospital staff, they're already prepared to send in psychiatrists. But you know what? The depression never happened to Pastor Warner. Four months after he got out of the hospital, he was pioneering the church in Tucson that I got saved in. But David says something very interesting. He talks about the voice of depression and suicide because it's a spirit. Remember last night I talked about the unclean spirit and how that unclean spirit is a personality that has a voice. It's a spirit that does a lot of talking. The more you listen, the more chronic it becomes. I have two brothers, had two brothers. One of them committed suicide in 1990 by a drug overdose and consumption of alcohol. The other brother, six years later, in June of 1996, uh, took a gun to his head. He had a wife, or an ex-wife actually, and three kids. His life was in total, absolute uh, uh, chaos and dysfunction. But I know that my two brothers didn't wake up one morning and come to the conclusion, but it was a long, slow, steady, process of a demonically inspired voice going on in their minds as slowly over time they begin to acquiesce. At first, maybe the idea was there, but no, I would never take my own life. I've got too much to live for. I'm fearful. All of those normal things come. But over time, as the devil was able to work on them, perhaps over months and maybe even years, it can take even decades for the spirit of suicide to finally come to fruition. So let's talk about the triggers, three of them. And this is what Pastor Mitchell told me many years ago, that, that depression is the consequence of frustrated self-will. People that just cannot adjust to reality as it plays out. You don't get to write the whole script of your life. You can write some of it. And some of the, your script that you produce uh, may come about exactly as you wrote it. Uh, but how many know God uh, reserves the right to edit your script? And he has some ideas about how that script should play out. How many of you that have been married here more than 10 or 20 or 25 years, uh, everything is played out in your marriage and with your children exactly the way you wrote it? The answer to that question is none of us. But there are some people that cannot adjust. Frustrated self-will. You refuse to adjust to reality as it plays out around you. Look at what happens to people who refuse to adjust to an outcome other than the one you want. You don't get the outcome that you want all the time. Sometimes one or a series of outcomes or setbacks can trigger Reactions, people get angry, they get frustrated, they get depressed. Have you ever heard the term, roll with the punches? you got to learn to do that in your life. A lot of things happen we don't like. Things happen that shouldn't have happened. doesn't mean we just accept uh, everything and sing hallelujah every time the roof caves in. But nevertheless, you've got to adjust. You've got to accept reality and find the mind of God in every reality that comes your way that you may not have written into the script of your life. Not even God gets the outcome that he wants. Look at what the devil has done to his creation. Peter wrote and said that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will is frustrated. Ahithophel didn't get the outcome that he wanted when he presented his plans to Absalom. Absalom rejected him and he couldn't handle that. Took his life. The second trigger is kind of a cluster of things. Loss, death, some kind of extreme trauma that takes place, like something 
akin to Pastor Warner's accident or the unexpected death of a loved one or the loss of a job or something that was valuable and precious to you that is no longer your possession. The question is, do you have the temperament to weather catastrophic loss? Should it occur? I'm not prophesying. I don't want it to, but stuff happens in life. Can you weather catastrophic loss without losing your bearings? And the third trigger is relationships. The state of your relationships goes a long way to define your disposition, your inner life, your level of peace. Offenses, and I'm going to deal with some of this tomorrow night, offenses and disappointments relationally are complex. Relationships never go totally smoothly. People never act exactly the way you want them to. You wish they would, even in a marriage, even with children. Things happen, and very often, because things don't go according to script relationally, people get demoralized, depressed, discouraged. David lost a trusted advisor, and at least initially, couldn't handle it. He begins to collapse under the weight of it. In verse 2, he said, I am restless in my complaint and I moan noisily. Yet I can hear you moaning right now, some of you. It's not out loud, but there's a groan. There's a moan. It comes out in the form of complaining about your life, your lot, your situation, your circumstances. I am restless in my complaint. He's talking about how bad things are in the context of this relationship. Verse 3, because of the voice of the enemy. These voices, as I mentioned a moment ago, can be external voices, people talking about you or slanderous uh, voices, uh, but it can also be the fact that uh, an unclean spirit uh, occupies uh, a room in your mind uh, and he talks. How many know your problems have a voice, don't they? It's hopeless. Why don't you quit? Why don't you run? Why don't you give up? Why don't you just backslide? God doesn't love you. We hear that voice because the devil's occupying space. Verse 4, my heart is severely pained within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me and horror has overwhelmed me. That has to be two of the most concise sentences in all the word of God. This is talking about the deep internal woundings for which at that particular point uh, there seems to be no cure and no help for him. How do I escape? How do I get out from this turmoil that's playing out in my life? It's also worth mentioning that there are, there are inherited curses that are at work in some people's lives. There are whole families that have a propensity toward depression. There are women sitting here, and you know that to be true. Your mother and every one of her sisters and your siblings, you all are in this, uh, 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 this darkness. And the scripture uh, mentions visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children of the third and the fourth generation. So things like suicide and depression actually do run in families. Uh, and clinical psychologists have chronicled this. One article that I read, does depression run in families? Is depression inheritable? From a strictly statistical viewpoint, the answer is yes. A variety of research shows that the children of depressed parents uh, are more likely to be depressed uh, themselves uh, at some point during their lives. Another article, Suicidal Behavior Runs in Families. The poet Sylvia Plath, who made a name for herself through prose and poetry uh, that conveyed a sense of depression and suicidal tendencies, uh, famously died by asphyxiating herself in an oven uh, in 1963. The recent reported suicide of her son, marine biologist Nicholas Hughes, brought to light a known psychiatric phenomenon, the heredity of suicidal behavior. A first-degree relative, that means an immediate spouse or child or parent, 
first-degree relative, a parent, a sibling, or a child of a person who has committed suicide is four times to six times more likely to attempt or complete a suicide, said Dr. David Brent, a psychiatrist at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. A well-known case of this. You may not be familiar. You may be too young. But there was a famous novelist named Ernest Hemingway who committed suicide Five members over four generations of his family died of completed suicide following his own. His suicide released a spirit that tormented his offspring and four of them. This is not a coincidence, my friend. So then let's get to the business of healing from depression and suicide. The answer is obvious. The answer is decisional. But you need to be made to see it tonight in the context of this. You have a choice to make. You don't have to be this way. Not as a Christian. But it requires an aggressive declaration on your part. Further from where I read, I didn't read the whole story in my initial rendering of the text. Further in this very same chapter after he gushes after he takes the mask off and puts into the narrative of this psalm how he feels and what he's going through, the level of torment that he's experiencing, he writes in verse 16, As for me, I will call upon the Lord, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray, I will cry, and he shall hear my voice. Have you done that yet? Have you tried an alternative to your complaining? David tried the alternative to his complaining and he came out from underneath the cloud and the weight of his depression and his having been demoralized by life. Deuteronomy 30, I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. I'm going to choose life. That both you and your descendants may live You see, there is generational implications uh, to what you do. Uh, I had a mother uh, who today probably would be diagnosed as bipolar uh, or maybe even schizophrenic. She was extremely neurotic. Uh, Our home was uh, on edge because of her constant behavior from my earliest childhood. uh, It was a dark place to live in my home. My father was a hard liquor alcoholic. That was the atmosphere uh, that I grew up. In, but I am not going to choose to go down that road. I chose it long enough into, into my teenage years. And then when someone told me about Jesus, I made a decision that I was going to choose life. I'm not going to be that person a moment longer. Faith is a choice. Life is a choice. Peace of mind is a choice. So I can say to you, as kind of a slap across the face, knock it off. It's not necessary for you to insist on a day-by-day pattern of depression. It's a matter of choice to come out from underneath it. Healing and deliverance is rooted in God's promise. You have to have hope. You may not understand it now. You may not believe it now. But your best days are ahead of you. You haven't gone to heaven yet, have you? That's still in front of you. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know how sucked my life is. Things may be one way now. They may look one way now. But they're not always going to look that way. Consider the Philippian jailer. The Apostle Paul and his companion are in prison. They've been locked up, beaten, stripped. The jailer is there standing vigilant guard because he knows if any of them escape, it's a death sentence for him, according to Roman law. So he had to be vigilant. And then the earthquake comes at midnight when Paul and Silas are worshiping and praising God. And then all the prison doors are open. The Philippian jailer, assuming all the prisoners have escaped, takes out his sword and is about to fall on it. And the Apostle Paul runs to him and says no. And he says, what do I have to do to be saved? He didn't realize that at the point he decided to take his life. But his best days were just in front of him, just around the corner. Because he got saved, gave his life to Christ, and his whole family was saved. 
you can change. Psalm says he heals up the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. You need a fresh revelation of God's presence, God's abiding presence, his faithful presence. And sometimes that is exactly what's missing. In the beginning of our text, what does David say? He's talking as though God is not present. Give ear to my prayer. He's not listening. Do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me. Hear me. I am restless. It's like he's talking into the air. He has this sense. God, you're not listening. You're not, you're not knowing. You're not aware of what I'm dealing with and what I am going through in my life. But David got a fresh revelation. He wrote in Psalms 34, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and the Lord delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. You need to get a revelation of that tonight. And he saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. So what we have to do tonight is we have to examine the quality of our relationship with God. How do these various triggers, for example, land when it comes to your life? Frustrated self-will, catastrophic trauma or loss or tragedy occurs, or relationships go south, a friend dismisses you or somebody slanders you. How do those kinds of triggers land do they land on a landing strip of a person who has a relationship with God and is going to pray, roll with the punches, and try to get the mind of God in the context of this new reality? Can you process these things without sliding into anger, frustration, and depression? This is what David, or rather Paul, wrote in 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency, the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. You couldn't get this guy depressed. He's getting slammed by life. In the process of fulfilling his calling, but he's able to maintain a disposition of victory. And that is there for us to observe. And he wrote in Romans, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, why are you letting life separate you from God's love, God's grace, God's joy, God's victory, God's peace? You can come out from underneath that, and that opportunity is as close to you right now as this altar is. I want every head bowed and every eye closed tonight. Nobody moving around for a moment. This is sacred and holy ground upon which we stand. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.